My name is Justin Crow. I'm one of the pastors here in case anyone doesn't know who I am. Uh, I periodically get to preach uh, and I pray that God's word here is spoken. Now, we are continuing through our sermon series called Fight the Drift through 1 Corinthians. If you didn't pick one of these up or if you don't already have one from the previous times you've been here, feel free to get one of these listening guides. It helps you take notes, helps you read along all of those things. Um, but this morning, we will be starting chapter 4. So we'll be reading the first 13 verses of chapter 4, uh, and then we'll see what it says. All right, chapter 4, verse 1. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings, and would that you did reign, so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. This is the word of the Lord. Now this letter, as you will see in the coming weeks and months, and maybe years, depends on how long it takes, but this letter addresses many issues, and we'll tackle those along with Paul, along with Corinthians, along with the text as they come up. This letter tackles lots of issues that are divisive. There's one side versus the other, as we've already seen some of them, and we will continue to see them as well. The Corinthian church was a young church, and I don't mean young in age of the people, young in age of the church. It wasn't very old. It hadn't been around long, very long, and Paul is coming to tell them kind of, hey, this is, this is not how a church functions. This is not going to work if you are divided on these smaller things or on these bigger things if you cannot come to an agreement. Yet, through that, through all of that, people were being saved. And they were being saved from this 
crazy culture in the, where the Corinthian church was located, in Corinth. Sin and debauchery was everywhere. There was all kinds of stuff going on, and people were getting saved and then joining the church. And it's not like the baggage they had before didn't come with them. Now, it was forgiven if they were saved. God saved them, forgave them. It's as if it was gone, but it's still in their mind. They're still thinking it through. They're still having to deal with the consequences of their previous life. And all of these ways of life are colliding. All of these mentalities are colliding. These worldviews are colliding. And Paul is speaking it yet again to the divisions that are present. Now this week, uh, I was engaged in a heated debate. And when I say heated, I'm understating it. It was heated. I think a family almost broke apart. Was it over politics? No, no it was not. Was it over Ukraine versus Russia? No, it was not. It was over whether something is a meme or not a meme. Some of you don't know what a meme is, period, right now. Some of you are looking at me like, what is he saying? A meme, as we've learned at MC this week, can be lots of things. It can be a picture with words on it that you added to make it funny, right? No? Okay, you see what side she was on? A meme or not a meme. Now this started, innocently enough, I was just asked the question by Hannah Vanderpool, sweet Hannah, who's not here today, conveniently. She goes, hey Justin, I got a question for you. Okay, cool. Is this a meme? I did not know. I was walking into a landmine of a situation. I I still don't, uh, Grace probably never come back here again because she doesn't like me because I said, yes, that's a meme. And it is. Facts are facts. I don't care if you like it. We looked it up. It was a meme. However, this led into a lengthy, lengthy debate on all kinds of issues. Are edge brownies better than the ones in the middle? See? (laughs) See? Yes! This is awesome. How to correctly load weights onto a barbell? Do they need to match on the end? Yes! Yes. Why would you put different ones on? Anyway. Crunchy versus creamy peanut butter. Crunchy peanut butter ain't peanut butter. It's just peanuts. But whatever. Creamy is the way to go. And how to properly dip peanut butter out of the jar. It's all in the wrist, apparently. That's good. you got to wrist it. Okay. Orange juice with pulp or not. Gross. No. And then, just when I thought our MC wasn't going to explode and come to uh, fisticuffs, as they say, I brought up the toilet paper issue <laughs> of over or under. And I th- actually, I think we were all pretty much in agreement, except for Caleb Vanderpool. It's always the Vanderpools, I'm telling you. All right. Anyway, it was a melee, okay? It, I don't know how... Some of the, you notice some of the people from my MC aren't here today. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, it was bad. Here's the thing. Everyone... And I mean everyone, quietest person in our church, had an opinion. They had a staunch, they, they were opinionated, as they say, okay? They, Grace Vanderpool, and I quote, said, I am willing to die on this hill, talking about the meme, okay? She texted it to me later, so I think she meant it. Like verbatim, she was going to die on the hill if it is not a meme. It was, whatever. We all have opinions about everything. Whether you even realize you have an opinion about something right now, if I bring it up, you form an opinion right then and there. Or you inform yourself enough to then form an opinion. 
And opinions are evaluations. Opinions, like it or not, are judgments. And we make them all the time about everything in our lives, about people, about places, about things, about all of the stuff we come across, all the things we hear about. We form opinions almost immediately, but it absolutely comes naturally. We don't sit around, I'm going to form an opinion now. Boom. It's, they just happen. They are natural. But here's what Paul is saying. is It may be natural to form opinions. It may be natural to judge. It may be natural to evaluate. But he, what he is saying is, while we may not be able to turn off the, opinionated, or, uh, the opinions that we form, we can form them based on the right lens. We can form them based on the right criteria. We can use the right evaluation process to form those opinions. And this is what he is addressing here today. Paul has already addressed a few times this feud or this division between Paul and Apollos or Cephas and, and how people were kind of breaking off into cliques and factions of, well, I follow Paul, well, I follow Apollos, well, I, and he, he's brought this up numerous times, so it's clearly a big deal. It's not just this one-off thing he spoke about. So he's bringing up that some like Paul, some like Apollos, all of this, but what he's saying here is, I'm not trying to help you decide which one's better. I'm not trying to help you decide which one you should go with. I'm not trying to finally decide who's the guy, who's that guy, who's the main person. What he's trying to say here is, one, how silly you are being for even having this division. It doesn't matter. We're following after Jesus, not these men. But secondly, let's, let's even look at how we would accurately do so. How would we accurately evaluate these people anyway? How would we accurately form an opinion on their preaching, on their leading, on their this, on their that. How would we do that if we were going to, since you can't help it, since you can't stop forming these opinions? Now this sermon today will kind of be broken down into two parts. The first part will focus on pastors and or how you would evaluate pastors, leaders, ministry leaders, elders, things like that, because that's what Paul is discussing here. But it also, part of it will turn that mirror around and have you ask yourself some difficult questions as a ministry leader, because we should all be ministry leaders in the sense of how we walk through life, how we evangelize, how we gospel people, how we live out the gospel. So we will be able to look at both pastors and members or Christians as well. Now Paul says first, to look at us pastors, look at us elders or apostles as he was, he was calling, those don't exist anymore, but as he was calling himself, Look at us pastors as servants, not leaders, not heroes, not masters, simply servants, stewards with specific tasks to get done, with specific tasks we are called to. Paul enters this very topic with an air of humility immediately. He doesn't say, now listen here, I'm Paul, I planted the church, you can't follow Apollos, you can't follow Cephas, I'm Paul, haven't you heard of me? He says, no, look at us, we are simply servants. We are servants of the Most High God and of the church. He is saying that just because they're the ones up front speaking or because they're the ones in, in leadership roles or these are the ones the, the Bible has called to lead the church, that does not place them above anyone else in worth, value, or dignity. They are simply carrying out the tasks or the service God has called them to do. We as your pastors, are first and foremost members of the church and servants of the church. We are servants. We serve. One of the ways in which we serve is we stand up here 
and preach God's word to you. We are stewards, and this is what we steward. We serve by preaching, teaching, by laboring over the text, seeing what God has to say to us all, and then we serve the church by stewarding those truths, or as Paul says here, the mysteries of God. As God speaks to us, he hopefully speaks through us to whoever is there to listen. Do we want to do that well? Of course we do. Do we want to be good at it and better at it every time we do it? Of course we do. Do we want to be engaging and not boring? Of course we do. Do we want to be joyful as we preach and winsome and, and, and not turn people off just to be a jerk? Of course we do. But Paul here tells us that above all, there is one way that, evalu- that you evaluate a pastor or a preacher or a leader that trumps all of these and in essence makes the other ones not matter if this one is not in place. And what does he say? He says here that it is required of them to be found faithful. Stewards, to be good stewards, must be faithful. It is, if, if someone is faithful but they're not funny, they can still be a good steward. If someone is funny but not faithful, they are simply a stand-up comedian. There's a difference between a pastor and a stand-up comedian. I hope you understand. If someone is faithful but they're kind of boring... They're not, they're not great, but they speak the right words. They say God's words. They can still be a good steward. They should still be considered a good steward. If they are entertaining but not faithful, they are simply that. They are in entertainment. The criteria of faithfulness must be above all and through everything or none of the other things matter. Paul then points out that there are three ways in which a pastor can be evaluated And in essence, only one of them matters in the end. The first way we see in verse 3 is by others. And he calls this out by saying, I don't really care what others say about my ministry is as long as I'm being faithful. Now, let me tell you, this is far easier said than done. For most people, I will confess maybe even more so for me. I care to a fault many times what people think of me. I will roll over what I say here today numerous times later today. If I'm not careful, it will consume me. I have to pray and truly turn it off to stop analyzing and overanalyzing and everything that I say today if I'm not careful. This is why he's not in here today. I think he's in kids. This is why I have a standing agreement with Trevor Ayers that he comes up to me every time that I preach. He fist bumps me and he says that was adequate. He doesn't say it was great. He doesn't say it was bad. Either of those two things could be true. But as long as I proclaim the gospel to you every Sunday that I preach, Trevor Ayers comes up to me and goes, adequate. And then we move on with life. And y'all are laughing because we kind of make it a joke as well, but I need it. I need it. I have to be reminded that if it went great, good, good. Jesus was proclaimed. If it went terrible and I stumbled and I did whatever, it went great because Jesus was proclaimed. Was I faithful to the text and faithful to the gospel? If so, none of that other stuff really matters. Paul is saying that what we all know here, no one can ever come close to pleasing everyone. Doesn't matter how good I do here today. Doesn't matter how good Eric does every week. Someone here thought it was awesome, and someone here thought it was, and then someone thought it was terrible. That's just the way it goes. 
It's, we just learn to live with that. In life, we just learn to live with that. You cannot please everyone. There will always be someone who loves you. There will always be someone who doesn't. And welcome to ministry. Welcome to life. But Paul is saying, this is one way in which ministry leaders are judged, that it should not matter if the leader can say, I have been faithful. So all of these other opinions that other people have, it's not that you don't listen to them. Maybe they're right. Maybe you could do better in this area, this area, and this area. But if you're faithful, don't let it get you down. Don't let it consume you. Don't let it be the end all, be all. This is not a preaching thing. This is a life thing. It's not just are you faithful in preaching as a pastor. Anybody can really do that. They can fake it for an hour, preach what, the God, what God's Word says, but then they go live crazy. Are you living the gospel in everyday life? Are you faithful every day? Judging a pastor this way, evaluating them scripturally, not by worldly means, is valid. Adding preference and style to your judgment and your evaluation is not valid. Then you are doing what Paul says here, and you are going beyond what is written. You are expecting the pastor to do things that the Bible doesn't even expect him to do. The second way in which a pastor can be evaluated is by himself. This is the one that's more dangerous for a lot of us. Self-evaluation always has its place. Okay, I'm not telling you to turn that off. I'm not telling a pastor to turn that off. I'm not telling anyone to turn that off. It has its place. As leaders, as humans, we should always be checking in, making sure you're doing as well as you can, making sure you are putting forth as much effort as you can, that you are motivated to do well, that you are aiming at success, you are aiming at excellence. We say that all the time here. We don't have all the bells and whistles of another church, but what we do, we want to make sure we're doing it with excellence as best we possibly can. We want, that's what we want to do. Not to show off, not to make mission church, but because Jesus deserves our best and to aim at our best. Now the problem comes in is when we're not asking the right questions. Paul is saying at the end of verse 3 that he tries not to even judge himself because we know that can go off on many different tangents that it shouldn't. If he begins judging himself by all of these cultural standards, he will be aiming at a moving target. He will be aiming at something he can never hit this type of evaluation can drive someone crazy. It has driven people in this room crazy, myself included. However, if the criteria is faithfulness, that narrows the lens. Now, there's all kinds of ways in which you can or cannot be faithful, but it still narrows the lens as, am I being faithful? And then you can look at areas of your life. Am I being faithful as a parent? Am I being faithful as a pastor? Am I being faithful as a husband or a wife? Am I being faithful as this, 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 this? But the question is the same for all of those. Am I being faithful? He goes on to say he thinks he is being faithful because he says, I, I don't even know of anything to hold against myself. I feel like I'm doing a good job. I, I feel like I am being faithful. But that doesn't mean that I'm faultless. That doesn't mean I'm acquitted. That doesn't mean there's not something that could be said about my leadership. Paul is, is humble enough to admit, maybe I'm missing something. And that's fine if someone wants to bring that up. He's not acquitted of any wrongdoing. The only opinion, though, the only judgment that truly matters is not the other people. It's not his own. The third way a pastor can be and should be and will be evaluated is by God himself. He is the end-all. He is the be-all. He is in this whole equation. It's not what people would say that I'm faithful. Yes, we want that because we want to live in a way that shows we are faithful. But some people are going to think you're faithful 
whether you are or not. And some of you are going to think you're unfaithful, whether you are or not. What would God say? Not what even I would say. Because in one moment, I could look at you and go, I'm pretty doggone faithful, guys. Because I did awesome yesterday. And then today, go, sorry, I did my best. Or I didn't do my best. Whatever. It's a, it would be a day-by-day thing. But it's what does God say? Does God say that I'm faithful? His standard is much higher than mine anyway. His standard is much higher than yours anyway. So if I'm shooting for that one, I should hit the other ones. This does not mean that God cannot and does not speak through others. Okay? If, if someone here, and I, I mean this, has, sees a glaring unfaithfulness in my life, please come tell me. Like, you have permission to please come tell me. It's not just Eric that has permission to do that. Anyone that sees it, come holler at me in private, not right now, and let me know. Now, here's the thing. You may be wrong. Okay? We can move on from there. Or you may be right. Either way, someone has helped. If you're wrong, I can help you see how you're wrong. If I'm wrong, you can help me see how I'm wrong. And both of us are helped. The right lens is faithfulness. Faithfulness to Jesus. Faithfulness to the gospel. Faithfulness in our way of life. Criticism is welcomed if it is brought from this angle. Now, if you come tell me that I just wasn't funny enough today, first of all, I'm going to be highly offended because I find myself to be a very funny person. But if you find my shirt offensive or my shoes offensive or whatever it is, I'm probably not going to listen to that very well or respond to that very lovingly. But if it's faithfulness, that criticism needs to and should be welcomed. The problem Paul sees in the way the Corinthians are doing it is threefold. They're, they're not just judging on faithfulness, or he wouldn't be bringing this up, obviously. So one, as you see, as you keep going in the text, the Corinthians were evaluating Paul and Apollos and Cephas and whoever else at the wrong time. We saw last week the text that whatever is built upon the foundation of Jesus will be tested by fire. We'll see what lasts. We'll see what, what makes it. We see this week, Paul takes that analogy even further, and he says that a man's ministry will be judged by God on the day of the Lord. Now this, again, does not mean we don't evaluate it as we go. Am I doing the best I can? Is there something I need to change? Am I being unfaithful? All of these things. But at the end of all of it, it will all be brought to light. If someone's faking it till they make it, and they make it all the way to the end, I don't want to name names, but there's a, a highly regarded pastor apologist who everyone thought he was faithful until he died and then the whole truth came out now I'm not saying he's in hell I do not know I'm not making a judgment on that because that's not my place but it came to light because again it will all come to light the Lord will bring it to the light and that's true the other way as well you're deemed unfaithful everybody hates you for some reason God will bring to the light the fact that you were faithful. And even if no one ever knows on earth, he will say, come on in. You were faithful even though no one thought you were. It will all be brought to life. To light, sorry. Because here's the thing. You may be looking at yourself right now. You may be looking at us right now. I'm, I'm, I am faithful. Not if you don't make it to the end. A a faithful person who does not stay faithful to the end was never faithful to start with. The Bible is clear that 
only those who remain faithful to the end were ever truly faithful to start with. Paul is saying, you can go ahead and evaluate how well I'm doing now, how well I'm staying faithful now, but the real test is whether I go all the way, whether I finish the race, whether I finish this well and die well, or if Jesus comes back. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says that man looks on the outward appearance, but God judges by the heart. We see this here in Paul's ministry. He's saying people tend to evaluate based on preference instead of truth, opinion instead of fact, and results instead of faithfulness. God is the opposite in all three of those ways. He judges on truth instead of preference, fact instead of opinion, and faithfulness instead of results. Notice I did not say successful. It's faithfulness. This is where the culture and the gospel diverge. Everyone who doesn't hate Jesus would probably look at the, the again, won't name names. It's not doesn't matter. The TV evangelist with 25,000 people there every week and say he's successful. Why? Because they can see 25,000 people there this week. They may look at Mission Church and be like, huh, 80, 60, 50, whatever it is. But we can look at it and say, but we're faithful. And I know we can say that because we are constantly seeking to be faithful to God's word. But I did not say successful. I was given a staunch reminder today that it is not about the results that I can bring about. God is in charge of the results. And I'm not to be judged on those results, but it's really hard to remember that in the moment. It's really hard not to say, but I could have, but I could have, but I could have. Or I shouldn't have, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have. Was I faithful? I don't know yet. I'll let you know. The second, sorry, the second problem Paul has with the way the Corinthian church is forming an opinion is they're using the wrong standard. Like I said a moment ago, culture and gospel diverge in so many ways. But this is how. The cultural standards are always changing. They're fickle. You never know from one day to the next. They're preferential. You don't know what you're, when you're going to go from hero to villain. The great theologian Bruce Wayne, it's Batman in case you were not picking up on that, says in one of the movies, you either die a hero or you live long enough to become the villain. Now, I don't think he was preaching God's word. And yet, if you live by cultural standards, he's absolutely correct. What does this mean? It means that you may be on top of culture one minute. You don't change. You keep doing what you're doing. That got you to the top of culture. But culture changes, and you're now the villain. You're now at the bottom. You're now the worst. You're now whatever. You're, you went from hero to villain. We've seen this in our own culture hundreds, if not thousands, if not millions of times. The culture will tell someone they're successful based on results, which means they are going to be deemed unsuccessful when the results change. And it may not be of any fault of their own. The culture is a moving target 
that you, if you find yourself constantly aiming at and missing the true, then you will miss the true bullseye, which is Jesus, which is the gospel. Because you're going to be aiming over here every, everywhere instead of aiming at the one true gospel, the one true bullseye, which is Jesus. The culture cancels people as soon as they say something they don't like. The gospel accepts those who have done things that God doesn't like their whole life. The culture offers no second chances. You screw up once, you out. The gospel offers endless grace. Endless grace. Endless grace. The culture is full of people who are trying to tear you down. The gospel makes us whole and then celebrates that wholeness by worshiping the very one who made us that way. Instead of just trying to bring everybody down to our level, Jesus is trying to bring everybody up to his. The culture makes you earn your value and worth. The gospel gives you worth that you do not deserve. You see, when we put too much stock in the opinions and preferences of others, we are at best on a slippery slope. At best. It changes too quickly. We don't know what we're aiming at from one minute to the next. But when we form our opinions and evaluations by the unchanging word of God without adding to it, like Paul mentions in verse 6, then we have no worries about the goalposts being continually moved so that we never make it. The goalposts stay the same all the time. Are you faithful? Faithfulness is not a one-time action. It is a lifestyle. Faithfulness is not perfection. It is a constant pursuit of perfection. It is a constant reliance upon the perfect one who, when we miss the mark, which we will, we rely on him who didn't. It is a constant remembrance of the gospel and just how sweet it is that the Savior of the entire world saw fit to set his affections on us. Not because of anything we did, not because we deserved it, not because we earned it, because he chose to do so. And it is a constant trust in the progress that will be brought on by the Holy Spirit in our lives as we fail some days and succeed others. We've all had good days. We've all had bad days. The Holy Spirit is using both of those to sanctify you and progress you to make you more like Jesus. But when we use the wrong standard, we are setting ourselves up for failure. The constant reliance on self and self-motivation and living up to these impossible standards that we see in culture, that we see on social media, that we see wherever we see them, is the cause of most, if not all, anxiety. It's the thought of never living up. I read a stat this week from a prominent psychologist who specializes in anxiety, and he says the average high school student today has the same level of, as, as, of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the 1950s. So people were going to get psychiatric help for the amount of anxiety that high schoolers have today. I don't even want to talk. He didn't mention 30 and 40-year-olds. So I don't even want to talk about that because at least high schoolers have the, the ability to fall back on, well, mom and dad will pay for it. Not a, if you're 30, 40, you don't have that. Maybe we would be committed. I don't know. But in the 50s, I don't know. But anxiety levels just seem to continue to rise and continue to rise. And why is that? Is it because people have become more soft nowadays? I'm sure some people would say that. Maybe that's true. I don't know. But the pressures have been ramped up. The expectations of culture have been ramped up. 
and placed upon people. The culture has changed its definition of what is good and acceptable. The goalposts have been moved in such a way that we all, if we look around in some way, shape, or form right now, you think you're a failure. You think you're not living up. We don't measure up. We don't have the right job or the right house or the right kids or the right wife or the right husband or the right what? The right... It just keeps on going and going and going. We don't have it together. We look at social media and we know in our heart of hearts we don't have it together. But we convince ourselves that all these fake lifestyle photos that they do, they've got it together. Why don't I have it together like them? What's wrong with me that I don't have it together like them? When they're sitting over there doing the exact same thing, they're just trying to trick everybody with their photos or their posts or whatever. We start questioning ourselves. We start doubting ourselves. Am I good enough? Am I doing enough? Am I doing too much? Am I funny enough? Am I smart enough? Am I charismatic enough? Am I motivated enough? Am I rich enough? Am I successful enough? Am I pretty enough? Any of you ladies out there with children ever ask yourself, am I actually being a good mom? I know most of you, you are. Any of you guys out there ever think, well, I'm not quite successful enough. I don't really provide enough. I'm not really leader enough. I'm not fill in the blank enough. And Paul would not tell you, don't worry, guys. You're fine the way you are. Just be you, be you, and live your truth, and you'll be fine. That is not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, of course you're not enough. You're never meant to be enough. The world is not relying on you to save them. People are not relying on you to save them or you to be enough or you or you or you or you, anything. It is all about Jesus. You are asking the wrong question. It's not, am I this enough? It is, am I faithful to the one who is enough? This is true of pastors. But what if you're sitting there thinking, I'm not a pastor, nor will I ever be a pastor. Wouldn't do that if you paid me a million dollars a year. Okay. What does Paul say to open this chapter? He said that we should all, talking about pastors, okay, contextually he is, but we should all be regarded as servants, as stewards. 1 Peter 2.16 says, this is to everyone now, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. So Paul, in the opening of this chapter, 1 Corinthians, levels the playing field. So that way you can't look at this text and go, well, that don't apply to me, I ain't a pastor. But you're a servant. Because everyone who follows Jesus is a servant. We are all servants. We are all stewards. 1 Peter 2.16 is just the one I picked. There's a plethora of options for verses that tell you if you are following Jesus, you are a servant. And who are good servants and good stewards concerned with pleasing? The master, not the other servants. This means as a pastor, we should be far more concerned with what God thinks of our ministry. We should be far more concerned with what our master says about us as individuals and as ministers of the gospel. And if we are all servants of God, this also holds true for you. If you are a servant of God, you should be more concerned and really only concerned with what your master says about you. Not what the other servants or yourself 
says. Someone is always going to tell you you're not enough. You are always going to think you're not enough. The beauty of the gospel is you can go, I know, I'm aware, and I never will be, but Jesus is. We don't have time to go in depth. I thought this is where I was actually going to go. But Matthew 25, Jesus tells a parable. We'll do this really quickly. But it's the parable where the master is going away. He gives one servant five talents. He gives one servant two talents. He gives one servant one talent. He, he says, do with it what you will. I'll be back. The one that had got five doubled it to ten. The one that got two doubled it to four. The one that got one buried it in the dirt and gave him his money back. It's not like he lost it. But he didn't really do anything with it. And he says something to the first two guys. He says, oh, good. Well done, my good and faithful servant. He didn't say that to the third guy. He rebukes the third guy. Because he didn't use the talents that the master gave him to do anything. He played it safe, or he didn't want to offend, or he wanted to make sure that other people were satisfied instead of the master. We are all servants. We are all simply stewarding his gifts until he returns. Until he comes back, we are all stewarding what he gave us. Stewarding is just taking care of someone else's stuff. And this is where humility can become the cure for anxiety. Anxiety comes in when we don't feel adequate enough, when we, don't, when we feel out of control. Humility tells us that you were never the ones that needed to be enough, and you were never in control even when you felt like you were anyway. But in that humility... This allows us to point to the one who is in control of everything, who is good enough, and who does own everything, is in control of everything. This text says that we are fools for Christ's sake. That's what Paul says. Then he goes on this whole list of y'all are strong, we're weak, y'all are this, we're... Why? It doesn't say we are fools, end of sentence. That probably be true as well. But it says we are fools for Christ's sake. It is all about him. This is why we can be treated like refuse. It's just another word for trash, in case you don't know. We can be treated like garbage. Like the scum of the world. That's actually in the text. And it is okay, because it's not about us. It's not about our accomplishments. It's not about our achievements. It's not about what we bring to the table. We are the trash of the world made into, the, into treasure in God's kingdom because the true treasure of God's kingdom was treated like trash in this world. And we can point to him. We are just trash pointing to the real treasure. That's the gospel. And that's what being faithful means. Constantly and consistently pointing to him who was treated as scum so that by faith we no longer have to be. Because outside of Jesus, God has no choice but to treat you with contempt and wrath because that's what you deserve. And that's what we deserve as well. But praise be to Jesus, we don't have to face that. We can be willing to admit our failures. We can be willing to admit we're not enough. We can be willing to admit that, you know what, you could have done that better. Okay, I could have. But I don't have to because the results are on God. I plant, someone else waters, God brings the growth. So are you faithful? Am I faithful? Are we faithful? That is quite the broad question, wouldn't you say? There's people in here from all walks of life, all ages, all this. So let me help you narrow it. 
because of Christ on the cross, we have received much mercy. Are you, am I, merciful? Because of Christ on the cross, we have received much grace. Are you, am I, gracious? Because of Christ on the cross, we have received or been loved much. Are you, am I, loving? Because of Christ on the cross, we have been given much. Are you, am I, generous? We've been shown much patience. Are you and am I patient? Much kindness. Are you kind? And I don't mean kind to the people that can pay you back. Or the rich guy that might give you something out of the deal. Are you kind to the least deserving? The least of these, as God tells us to do. Are we faithful in order to make much of the one who is ultimately faithful on our behalf? Or is it really just more about us? It is impossible to please other people, all of them at least. Plus, the Bible tells us you can't serve two masters anyway. You cannot please God while attempting to please man. And this is the third problem Paul has with the Corinthian lens as it sits. He tells them that they are only doing so that some of them can be puffed up against the others. Their motives are all out of whack, trying to look good and outdo everybody. Well, yeah, but I did this. But I did this. But Paul did this. But Apollos did this. I went to uh, I went to Africa a few years ago. Um, this is the trip Jonathan Vanderpool and Trevor Ayers went on. They're both not in here. Convenient. Now you want to talk about the struggle of wanting to do a good job and not look bad on an international scale, right? It was a struggle for me. I, I was constantly wanting to make sure I said the right thing. And, and that's really difficult when it's translated into three different languages because you don't really know how it's coming across when you don't understand what's being said. But question, I was teaching one day and question time came up, which is always extremely interesting when you have to say, and here's the question, and here's the question in French, and then here's the question in Moray. And then they answer it. I don't know what he just said. So it has to be translated to here and to here and then back to me. It takes a while. Let's just say that. And we were off on all these tangents, and there were side conversations going on in three different languages. So you can imagine it was kind of a crazy scene. But I was trying to hone it back in. And I, again, I don't even know what the, what the debate was. Um, I don't remember that part. But I saw Jonathan Vanderpool's hand go up in the back. And he simply read Galatians 1.10. that says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. If there had been a microphone in Africa, I would have dropped it. Instead, I just said, and that's it right there. I've remembered that moment. He probably doesn't even remember doing it. I've remembered that moment because I struggle with this every day of my life. But that was the end of the discussion. The word is clear. We are all servants. Therefore, the rubric by which we are to be judged is God's rubric. Are we faithful? As pastors, yes. But as servants, as stewards of his good gifts, are we faithful? Because it is required of us to be found faithful. So are we like the Corinthians, judging ourselves and others at the wrong time by the wrong standard and for the wrong motives? Or are we like Paul, judging ourselves on faithfulness 
to the master. So as we live life, as we journey together, as we go through all of the ups and the downs and we steward the time, talents, and treasure that God has so lovingly and graciously bestowed upon us. Because here's the thing, is you're stewarding them, it's just are you stewarding them well? It's not like you just pause time like it's a video game. Well, I won't steward my time today. If you have a dollar in your pocket at any point, you have to steward that somehow or another. And you are all given five, two, or one talent, whatever that may be, and you have to use it or not use it. But again, that's stewarding. So as we do these things, ask yourself, when it's all said and done, is Jesus going to look at me and say, well done, good and faithful servant? Or is he going to look you in the eyes and say, depart from me, because I never knew who you were? You're not promised tomorrow, guys. This is life and death. Are you faithful? If you're not, don't beat yourself up. Just come talk to me in the back. If you are, continue to be. And let God take care of the results. Just go tomorrow, preach the gospel. Go tomorrow, preach the gospel. I don't know who's going to listen. I pray everybody does. But do not take this lightly. I can assure you there are people that wish they had the opportunity to hear it again today. All right, let's pray.